Good afternoon, church. All right. I guess the cold weather is really having an effect on you guys. Let me try it again. Good afternoon, church. Good afternoon. Nice, nice. I missed you guys last Sunday. I love being here. And I was out last Sunday. And there's nowhere I'd rather be than being here with my Grace Church family every Sunday. I'm thinking you guys know that I'm a huge Aggies fan. If you didn't know, I'm a huge Aggies fan. We, the whole family, the Aranda family, are diehards. My wife graduated from A&M. My oldest son is about to graduate in May from A&M. Whoop. Someone say whoop. No. Okay. My youngest is currently at A&M. Huge, huge Aggies. I consider myself an Aggie, but I'm not an Aggie. I graduated from the University of Texas in San Antonio. Roadrunners, yeah? Awesome. Cool. But again, since my whole family is an Aggie, I'm an Aggie. And one of the things that I love about Texas A&M is their traditions. They have tons of traditions, and my favorite tradition is a tradition known as the 12th man. What is the 12th man? It means that us, the audience, are there for the players, no matter what sport. We are there cheering him on. We are ready to go into battle with them, shoulder to shoulder. We support them in the highs and the lows. Now, you're probably wondering, what does all of this have to do with God? Well, today, we're going to look at a story that I think a lot of us are familiar with. A story not of a 12th man, but of a 4th man. We're going to see a story of three faithful Jewish men who stepped into a fiery furnace, but there was a fourth man with them. So if your Bible's with you, please open up to the book of Daniel. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 3. We're going to try to cover all of the chapter today, so we have a lot to cover. Let me, let me give you a little bit of context before we jump in to verse 1 of Daniel chapter 3. In the book of Daniel, chapter 1, we read that this king, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, goes into Jerusalem, captures the Israelite people, takes them back to Babylon, and there in Babylon, he promotes four Jewish men, the cream of the crop. He educates them. He even employs them. They become part of his government. And then chapter 2, we read that King Nebuchadnezzar has his whack up dream, crazy dream about this huge image where there's a golden head and the whole body is made of different materials. And so King Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel, one of the guys that he had chosen, Daniel, come here and tell me what I just dreamt. But not only that, what does my dream represent? And Daniel says, I got you. My God's got you. Because the one true God knows exactly what that dream was. And he tells them, the head, the head in your dream made out of gold, well, that's you. So 20 years have passed since that incident. 20 years we're going to pick up the story. But before we do that, I want to show you how we're going to exegete, how we're going to exposit, how we're going to explain today's sermon. What I did in preparing for this sermon is I went back and did a structure called a chiastic structure. Now, this is what it means. A chiasm, really, what it represents is... You have certain events starting, and then those events start to happen, and then you have what's called a turning point. 
And then those events happen, but in reverse, different. You have an event, then a turning point, and then it is a different, a reverse, if you will, of what happened before. They mirror each other. For example, the chiastic approach that we're using today, we're going to see in the very first verse, verses 1 through 7, an A. I labeled it as A. That's what we're going to see, that the king orders everybody to come and worship this golden statue. And we go further down as the events occur. But then we get to the turning point, the D, the D in this chiasm, where we're going to see the faith of these three Jewish men. And from that, things start happening in reverse and end up with another A, but it's unlike the first A. I hope you're confused. It's a chiastic approach. As a matter of fact, we see chiasms throughout the Bible. The Bible, in a way, is a chiasm. It begins in the Garden of Eden. And one day, we're going to return to paradise when he returns. So I simplified it for my sake and hopefully for yours. And I created my own chiasm. And here's what we're going to look at today. Eight different sections. Maybe of your Bible, you can dot them down. They could help you when, when you go in your small group and further study. We're about to study ourselves. And here are the eight sections we're going to see. We're going to see a D, a declaration. Then we're going to see an accusation. We're going to see rage. And the turning point is a faith. Then a fire. Then a realization an acquittal, and lastly, just like we began, a declaration, but this time it'll be different. So basically what we're going to see today is a darf and then a frad. Wake up, people. Wake up. Wake up. Let's begin. Declaration, verse number 1, chapter 3 of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura, the province of Babylon. So he makes this image kind of like the dream that he had. But unlike the dream he had, that only the head represented him, he said, you know what? No, no, I am the whole body. So he makes this huge image out of gold, which represents the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And now the author is going to tell us the officials that he's going to gather. Eight different classes of officials. He says this in verse 2. The king Nebuchadnezzar, then king Nebuchadnezzar, sent together the satraps, the prefix, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, thus far, this is just a dedication. He hasn't mentioned anything about worshiping anything or anyone. So the faithful Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which we're about to read, show up. They're part of his government. Nothing wrong with showing up to a dedication. Nothing of showing up to a dedication went, up, went against Jewish law. So they dressed up and showed up. But now again, we're going to see that the author mentions these officials again. He repeats himself. What he's trying to do is he's trying to show us, anybody who reads this, that the king Nebuchadnezzar wanted to have a unified nation where everybody declared him as king, and as we're going to see, as God. So here comes the declaration, or I'm sorry, uh, the, the repetition of the officials. Verse 3, 
than the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now the declaration, verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, every single one of you, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever, I don't care who you are, whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So the king orders that everybody, no matter who you are, whenever you hear the horn, the bagpipe, the accordion, el requinto, you name it, you fall down and worship this golden image. But notice two things. The king never declares that you should not worship any other god. He's saying you can worship your god, whoever the god that is. No problem with that. But when you hear the music, you better drop down and worship me. Because he considered himself a god, thus making this image. But the other thing that you need to notice is that he has this huge golden image, 90 feet tall. And right beside it, he puts the fiery furnace. He's saying, you all have a choice. Worship the golden image or die. Your choice. Verse 7. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of all types of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So picture that. Hundreds upon hundreds of people came to this declaration and then the king says, no, now it's going to become a worship. Now this is what you have to do. And the music started playing. And all these people dropped down to worship the golden image. Every single people that were gathered there except, except three. Which leads me to the accusation. Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man, no matter what, who he is, who hears the sound of the horn and all this music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. That's your law. And they become chismosos. I believe they're jealous because they point out these three faithful Jewish men. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. You chose them, king, not us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They're accused of three things, not respecting the king. Notice what they said. They're not listening to you. You chose them. You're the boss. You're the king, and they're not respecting you. Not only that, they're not serving any Babylonian gods, and they are certainly not dropping down and worshiping the golden image that you have set up. So because of that comes the rage. Section 3, verse 13 
Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true? Really, guys? My buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? He's saying, you guys are not exempt. You know that, right? Tell me, is what I'm hearing false? Is it just gossip? Are they just jealous or is it true? So what he does is he gives them another chance. Verse 15, now if you are ready when you hear the sound of all this music, fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well and good. Just do it. You've got one more chance. You fall down and worship the image. We let bygones be bygones. We move on. Nothing ever happens. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And watch what he asks. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? I believe that at this point, it becomes a one-on-one. With King Nebuchadnezzar saying, you have your God that you worship but I'm better. Who? Who's going to deliver you out of my hand? Your God won't. We've seen the declaration. We've seen the accusation. We just read the rage. And now the turning point. Verse 16, the faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't have to answer that question. We will not serve you is what they're saying. We're going to keep faithful to our God. If this be so, they say, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. If you have your Bible with you, underline this verse. Highlight it. Memorize it. Verse 18. But if not. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Faith. That's the turning point. That's where we see these men's faith in action and what they're telling the king, what the Holy Spirit is telling us through these verses is this. Is that I know our God is able to save us. We should know that God is able to save us. But even if, even if he doesn't, we will only serve him. We will only trust in God. See, obeying God was more important than the life to these three men. So if God chose not to deliver them, they would still obey them. Even if. So because of this, the king throws them into the fire. Section 5, the fire. Verse 19, the Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. That's hot. A usual furnace to cremate somebody is about a thousand degrees. This guy, the king Nebuchadnezzar, was so angry that he said, turn it up seven times. Verse 20, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 21, then these men were bound in their cloaks, 
their tunics, their hats, and their gar other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. They're tied up. I don't know why. They're all dressed up because they went to a declaration. They went to just acknowledge because the king had ordered not to worship them. So they're all dressed up in their finest clothing, and they're thrown into the fire. Verse 22, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the burning, fiery furnace. The three men outside the fiery furnace were not killed. The men that went into the furnace, as we're about to see, were unharmed. Which leads me to my realization. Realization, verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men into the fire? And the counselor says, yep, we sure did. And then he answered, but I see four men. They're unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. He is freaking out. Everybody's freaking out. Wait, wait, wait. There were three men thrown in there. Now I see four. And not only that, they're unbound, and they're walking around. They're not trying to get out. They're in the fire. They're chilling. They're grilling. They're probably saying, the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. They don't want to get out. They are fine where they're at. Let me just take a, a minute here. This fourth man that we read about, there's many scholars that believe that this is a theophany. What does that mean? Pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus Christ, before he became incarnate here in the New Testament, was there present. Many believe that. Other scholars believe that it wasn't a theophany, but a Christ-like, a type of Christ, a representation of Christ. Why do they say that? Because notice what King Nebuchadnezzar says, that the fourth is like a son of the gods. Like the son of the gods. It is the same language that we read in the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 6, where it says this. Now there was a day when the sons of God, the angels, and Satan was an angel of God who fell out of heaven for his disobedience. When the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. I love what I read. One commentary says this. Though Nebuchadnezzar did not know of the Son of God, he did recognize that that person appearing with the three looked supernatural, looked like an angel, and angels were known in Babylonian culture. And in a little bit, we're going to read in verse 28 this. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel. And delivered his servants. Now I don't know. It very well could have been Jesus Christ. Of course it could have been the theophany. It could. Of course it could. And I don't know. It could have been an angel. Of course. But I do know this. I do know that God was present. He was there. His presence was seen. In the fiery furnace. Which leads me to my seventh point or section, the acquittal. Verse 26, the Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He probably 
was at a good distance. He had seen what happened to his three men. Le dio miedo. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fiery furnace. They didn't come out before, but now they were ordered, so they came out. But notice how he calls them servants of the Most High God. He recognized who these three men serve. King Nebuchadnezzar never recognized Jehovah, the true God, as the true God. But he did recognize that these men were faithful to their God. Verse 27. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. They had just witnessed a miracle. They had not been harmed. The hair not burned. Clothing untouched. But I believe the biggest miracle is the fact that they didn't even smell like smoke. I grill every Sunday and boy do I smell like smoke. My wife does not even open the door. I know I'm going to smell like smoke. But she closes the door. They were in a 7,000 degree Fahrenheit furnace and not a smell of any sorts of smoke. Miracle. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. He recognizes, he declares three things. He recognizes and declares the power of the true God. He recognizes that. He recognizes how he was there present in the fiery furnace. But not only that, he answers the question that he asked these men in verse 15. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Answer, Jehovah, the one true God. But I believe he totally recognized the faith of these three men. That even having death in their face would not bow down and worship the golden image. And a result of this, because of what he experienced, he makes a new declaration. Verse 29, therefore, because of the miracle he just witnessed, what he just had seen, I make a decree any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He makes a new declaration, a different declaration than what he first started. And this new declaration, if you disobeyed it, you'd be torn to pieces. Your house destroyed. Why so severe? He just tells us. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Today we conclude our series, Christ in the Old Testament. And through this series we have seen how Christ is seen all throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, how Christ is pointed, is foreshadowed in the new. 
I hope we have seen that this book, the Bible, is all about Jesus Christ. It's a story of reconciliation between God, a holy God, and the sinful man through Jesus Christ. We outline this chapter with a chiasm. And I want us to now look on how I build my own chiasm that reflects the life of these three faithful men, that reflects the life of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And here's what I mean. We just read that the king orders all to worship the golden image. We see in the gospel that Satan tempts Jesus Christ to fall down and worship him. We just read that three Jewish men were accused. We read in the gospel that Jesus is accused, seems like, daily in his ministry. We just read that these three Jewish men were threatened by King Nebuchadnezzar. Worship or die. We read in the gospel that Jesus is threatened by Pontius Pilate where he says to Jesus, I have the power, the authority to crucify you or let you free. We just read the turning point where these three Jewish men affirm their faith. Where they say, I will not, we will not worship. We will be faithful to God. We read in the gospel that Jesus is faithful even to the point of death. And he goes and prays to his father in heaven, suffering, sweating blood, we are told. And he says, Father, if there's any other way, any other way, let your will be done, not we just read how these men were punished and thrown into the fiery furnace. Jesus was punished and crucified for our sake, on our behalf. But we also just read that these three Jewish men, faithful Jewish men, were vindicated. Jesus, after being crucified, was vindicated as he rose from the dead and stepped out of the tomb. The king at the very end recognizes the one true God of Israel we, the church, recognize Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Chiasic approach where verse 17 was a turning point. Faithful men. This is the verse that turns everything in reverse. If this be so... Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. He will, one way or another. But if not. But if not. That demonstrated their faith. That should be our posture. When it comes to our suffering. And here's my sermon point and the timeless application of God's word is this. God may not always take our suffering away. <laughs> A lot of times he doesn't. But God will always be with us in our suffering. He will always be there. That is a promise. Don't believe the lies, church. That once you become a Christian, it's all smooth sailing. Life gets better. No. Once you become a Christian, you deny yourself and the suffering begins. But remember, no matter what season you are in, He is there and will always be there because He loves us. 
I want us to close in this manner. Where you're at, sitting down, the, the worship band's going to come up and they're going to sing a song. And during this time, I want you to reflect on the words of this song. I know, because I'm alongside of you guys, I know some of you are going through a season of suffering now. I know it. And if you're not in that season, you probably just got out of one. And if you have not just gotten out of one or in a season now, there's one to come, I promise. But remember that God loves you. Remember and realize what we just read, that we should trust God no matter what. So during this time of reflection, come to God. And maybe not ask God why, but maybe ask God what. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to change? What is the reasoning behind our suffering? And remember, we're reading God's Word to consider it all joy. Not to be happy about our suffering, but consider it joy because God is doing something in us and through us. We are becoming more like His Son through our suffering. So right now, if you're going through a season of maybe a death in the family, or a loved one, or maybe depression, anxiety, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing what tomorrow will bring, an illness, a broken relationship in your marriage, or maybe you're sitting here and you've been single for a, such a long time and you're asking God, when, when am I going to find that person, God? Maybe you're going through a financial difficulty where it seems that your debt is just impossible to get out. You lost your job. Whatever season you're in, take some time and pray to God and say, I know you can do a miracle. I know you can snap your fingers and make everything fine. I know you can. But even if, but even if you don't, I will continue to trust you. Because you are a sovereign God. And a God that no matter what's happening or happens, a God that would always love 